Ah, mmm. The first taste of rare bourbon you finally got your hands on. That's nice. At Caskers.com, we make this experience easy. Caskers is a one-stop spirit curator with an impressive selection of exclusive sought-after rare and household names in the realm of premium spirits and champagne. Discover the top flavors of the year now by going to Caskers.com and using code WELCOME10 for $10 off your first purchase. Get $10 off your first purchase with code WELCOME10 at Caskers.com. Hey, what's up? This is Gabo from Fayuca, and you are listening to the Sun Solar Panel Podcast. A lot of mercy. <laughs> And welcome to the Sun Solar Panel, a Phoenix Sun show. I'm Tim Tompkins. I'm Greg Esposito. Ahoy, hoy. And I am Dave King. And today on the show, we are going to talk about the Suns going 8-0 and in the bubble, how they lost their chance at the playoffs, what the hell happened to DeAndre Ayton during the bubble, um, the bubble awards, awards, the bubblies, we named the solar panel bubble awards and what's coming up next, the draft lottery. Um, I got to tell you guys and, and Dave, take this away, but this last week has been, uh, the greatest run, uh, for me with the Suns, really since becoming a fan of the team, which was the the first year after they didn't make the playoffs. That's really when I started watching the Suns. Um, I, I don't know about you guys, but even though the Suns ended up not making it into the playoffs, um, I just thought it was an incredible week for all for the team and for fans and for everybody else involved. I agree. I, I, I just thought it was freaking incredible. This is the best two weeks of Suns basketball. We, I, Look, 2013-14 uh, was pretty freaking incredible, that's for sure, too. And I am going to go into a deep dive in the in the coming days, maybe a week or two, um, and do a real see if this is any more sustainable than we thought at the time 13-14 was and why, um, why or why not. So that that'll be interesting. But this is this this was huge. The Suns were alive to the last shot of the last valid game that could impact their their uh their inclusion in this play-in tournament and then it was followed by a bunch of articles on friday nationally that said the sun should be in anyway give them the washington uh, i was going to say bullets give them the washington wizards uh ninth spot and let them play in in the east (laughs) everyone's in orlando anyway i thought that was a great idea I i mean for me these two weeks were were something truly special. I mean, the last five months have been pretty awful in general for for most of humanity. Let's be honest. We we suffered through uh, lockdowns, civil unrest, uh, just all sorts of things that we never quite expected. Twenty twenty has been uh, the dumpster fire uh, emoji of years, and uh, and this year. Uh, these two weeks were something that just reminded us why we're sports fans. It took, uh, it helped give us a, a moment of joy when it, when it's been difficult to uh, take our minds off of other things. And uh, I don't think I've enjoyed sports this much in a very long time. There were, especially last day, uh, well, Booker's buzzer beater. And then the final day were two moments where I, I it was like, getting in a time machine and going back to when I was a kid uh, and feeling that excitement, feeling that joy, feeling that, uh, that angst and anticipation during that Nets Blazers game. And uh, even the disappointment, look, I'm okay with the disappointment when it was something uh, pretty spectacular that we got to experience to get there. It, it's cliche to say it's all about the journey and not the destination. Uh, the journey was a hell of a ride. And for, for me, I'm just thankful that we got to experience that as a collective sons community. Now, you know, some people will still be negative. Some people bring up certain things. That's fine. But uh, for me, that two week run was, was truly special. And I thank all of you who came along for the ride with us too, when we were doing the post game shows and everything, it was just, it was a very nice, uh, nice reprieve from what has been a difficult time. So what was most shocking for me, uh, most shocking for me is, is how they suddenly, and, and uh, let's see, 
Tyler, uh, no, wait a minute. Sorry, Raymond. Um, they finally grew in the YouTube chat. They finally grew up and learned how to close out games. Absolutely. It's like, when did this happen? They were losing close games. They were, even in 2013-14, they were losing close games. Obviously, most of the games since. Um, and even this year, like, remember that uh, that meltdown against San Antonio? They had a two-point lead with, like, 10 seconds left in Mexico City. Um, all year, they were they were dropping close games that, that could have put them over the hump. You can point to their lackadaisical losses to Detroit and Golden State earlier this year as the difference because any one game obviously turned out to be the difference uh, in this season because the Suns lost by one win, lost out of a playoff spot by one win. Um, but look at that Mexico City game where they had a two-point lead with 10 seconds left. There was a few other games just like that. And all of a sudden then the Suns in the bubble figured out how to close out those games and not only figured out how to close them out, they looked like they knew what they were doing every second on the court. That's what I just, that's the most shocking to me is they just suddenly grew up. They're still the youngest team collectively in the NBA and their starting lineup got younger. The starting lineup that started the year seven and four, five and two, then seven and four um, was a mostly older lineup. I mean, Kelly Oubre is slightly older, but Aaron Baines, 32, 33. Um, the only guy in, in this starting lineup now that is um, of any kind of prime age is Ricky Rubio. This starting lineup in the bubble. Yeah. Yeah. Um, but everyone else, I mean, yeah, look, everyone jokes about Cam Johnson being an old rookie, but he's a young starter. Yeah. The dude's only 23. Booker only just turned 23. DeAndre Ayton only just turned 22 a few weeks ago. Um, and uh, that's that's one hell of a starting. And of course, Mikel Bridges. It, I think just turned 24. They they might have been older rookies, but they are young starters on a playoff quality squad. So I had brought, I brought up that Detroit and Golden State game on Twitter as kind of being the difference, but then somebody brought up the fact that I had forgotten about this game. There was the game against Portland that Devin Booker missed that they lost by one, but Portland oh, yeah. had a goal, basically a goaltend at the end that uh, that saved the game. So. That there, too, is another a moment of difference. And it shows you the slim margin of error, error you have when you're a young team yeah. like that. Uh, you, you, have to, you have to learn how to win pretty quick because every last one of those games uh, was going to matter. And it also speaks to the big hole that they put themselves in that they could go 8-0 and still not force their way into yeah. at least a play in. So, you know, I'll tell you, and I'm sorry, I want to throw it back to you, uh, Tim, but I keep having more things to talk about. I remember when Aaron Baines early in the season, when the Suns were going on that little five and two, seven and four start, and even into before until Aaron Baines got hurt, um, and DeAndre Ayton was already out on suspension, um, that he was saying, Everybody has to learn that every play counts. And they were saying it in a positive way because early in the season they were winning close games uh, when they had their vets in there. Um, and then um, it, every play counts, every possession counts. And that's what Aaron Baines and Ricky Rubio and guys like that were saying at the end of every game. Um, the youngest team in the league, it's hard for to actually fathom that. But So I wonder if coming into next season, they'll all really own that even more than more than ever that every possession counts because yes looking back you yeah, i can count a dozen games some people uh pointing out the spurs games you just pointed out the blazers games the games they didn't show up for look nba teams there's going to be games the nba teams just don't show up for yeah. there really are there's a reason the suns won even 19 games a year ago is <laughs> because there were a couple of games that their opponent didn't really show up for what was great is that um that everybody showed up the first five or so games um, in the bubble where all these teams were so excited to play basketball game. Again, the games were extremely close and every team was playing the balls out and the Suns still went five and oh. Um, so I think uh, it, they did grow up. I hope it long, lasts into next year because it's a to totally back to the old ways of you go home every night instead of to a hotel. Oh, maybe. Um, maybe, maybe that's true. They might go bubbly again, um, but in different regions and stuff. So, so we'll see, but I, that was that was definitely the most fun uh, two weeks that I've had watching basketball in years. 
Well, I think that it's obviously disappointing for for all of us when the Suns go in and go eight and zero. Um, and Memphis, I don't think anybody's upset with Portland. I mean, Portland deserved that spot, but when Memphis can go, Dame deserved that spot. Two and six, and the Suns still not get it. It makes you wonder, well, why the hell were they even invited? But looking at it from a positive note is that going into free agency, this team looks a lot better for prospective free agents because I think we all in our head have it. Well, if the Suns offer somebody money, they're obviously going to take it. But if you have multiple teams offering different deals, uh, the it's up to the the free agent whether or not he signs there. You know, um, So they're going to look a lot better in free agency. And then as a, a friend of mine, Evan, pointed out, that video where the Suns had all the different family members that paid tribute to them before the game started, players notice that stuff. They see that stuff. Um, yeah. And it, it bodes well. Yeah, some the of the, season several well. of them tweeted about it. Yeah. Yeah. yeah including, including big names like LeBron. Uh, Tim, you bring up a point that kind of has bothered me uh, because a lot of national people have said this and said, well, what's the point in bringing the Suns? The point is it made every single game in the uh, in that last day important, right? In, in that Thursday day, nobody's watching that the Nets Thursday Blazers game. <laughs> yeah, excuse me, Thursday, not Friday. Well, let, no, let me copy out that nope. when, when you're done because I okay. my point was slightly different than – uh, that which is fair, but uh, it, the the national guys that are saying, well, there was no point in even bringing them. You know, the Nets Blazers game was the point. Nobody cares about that game if there isn't something on the line, and that's yeah. what uh, that's what the Suns did. They forced these teams to play games that had importance. You know, they they pushed everybody to their brink there, and uh, you know the thing that bothers me is the tiebreaker with with Memphis is. It came down to head-to-head games this year. So at this point, with as crazy as it was and having to go off win percentages and everything, it should have just been a one-game play-in between those two teams. It, it could have been, but you know what? If you put us in Memphis's spot, we'd have been, no, the 3-1 and one record mattered well, <laughs> earlier but this year. You know what? I think even Memphis would admit, you know what? We kind of crapped the bed in, They're not gonna in Orlando. That, you know, Come like on. the the fans might. I mean, they crapped the bed, and yeah. the Suns did everything they had to. I mean, if the Suns went seven and one, it, there wouldn't have even been an argument because they it, they Memphis would have had the higher win percentage. But the fact that the Suns did every possible thing they could have, and Memphis literally almost uh, did everything they could to fall out of the playoffs, that's where I feel like that should have been. Uh, and maybe a one game plan. And I think what this does is if the league is serious about looking at play in and for future seasons, they're going to look at ways to mitigate this where maybe it's even the 10th seed has the opportunity to force a play in. Maybe it's for the seven and eight spots. Like I think this is going to force the league to think creatively because the Suns wound up being one of the most exciting stories in Orlando. Devin Booker emerges as a true star on the national stage and the league instead is getting what likely will be Memphis getting their asses handed to them by Portland. So the league's going to want to do anything to maximize entertainment. And I think that's what this might force. Tim, you had an opposite or slightly different comment you wanted to make. No, no. I mean, I, I, I think it's it's fine at this point. That was that was the point. Um, I, I guess I was more saying that if the Suns could go 8-0 and do everything right, and you did have a, a team like Memphis that was shitting the bed going 2-6 and six, and the Suns still weren't going to get in, um, I, I think to the point that Greg spoke about where that regular season matchup um, record shouldn't have mattered or there should have been a way. I mean, it, it just, it shouldn't have been to where a team could do everything right and still not get in, especially when another team was doing everything wrong. Um, but I do think it's funny though, before I forget, uh, Damian Lillard this season, uh, he, he giveth and he taketh away. I think like no other player on an <laughs> yep. opposing team did for this team. He's a I legend mean, <laughs> for the Suns. Yeah. <laughs> He actually did have another quote that I just saw that I want to pull up. Uh, he said that Devin Booker can have my MVP. I need the playoff spot. <laughs> Good. Just keep giving Devin <laughs> things, David. And eventually you'll hand him the playoff spot too. And maybe CJ McCollum as well. Just keep handing Devin Booker things. We'll we'll take whatever you're willing to to hand out. The I don't have a problem with with the Nets game. Uh, the Nets played their hearts out, even when they had no yeah. no reason to. The game that drives me nuts Props about to the all Nets. This, 
Big props to the uh, Nets. Yeah. Oh, and and Tyler Johnson. That that guy oh, yeah. knew where his paycheck that was dude. coming from, and it but wasn't it was Brooklyn. so funny. He he uh, he he popped into Ricky Rubio's post game interview and dapped him up a little bit, and and Rubio's like, "You got to win one for us now." And that was a Thursday <laughs> after the Suns had won, and and absolutely no, he was he was focused, and so was the entire Nets team. They were having fun with it. That was the one I thought Portland might lose because they were playing hard. Um, it's just unfortunate that. Um, well, A, that Dame was just Dame again. Jesus, that half-court shot uh, because he was tired of being trapped. That's crazy. And then, um, obviously, Levert walking himself into a fallback 20-footer when he the whole game had been getting to the rim. So look, that was look, a shame. That's, the one that bothers me is the Mavs game and that insane three-pointer that that Dame hit that yes. hit the rim, went 30 feet in the air and went in. That's, yeah. that's, the, that's the one yeah. that bothers me. I don't care Dame hitting half court, nothing but that. That's props. But when you get dumb luck like that and you get a foul at the end to save you, that's the game that's going to haunt me, not the not the Nets game. So. Well, the so Monty Williams had given a, a speech after the last game of the bubble to the team, and he was essentially saying, no matter what happens tonight, don't let anyone take this away from you what you guys did and earned and and uh the respect that you earned from the league here but next season going into this we want to be in control of our own destiny at the end of the day the Suns were not in control of it um and i think it's just incredibly important and impactful and everything they got out of it going into this next season now when devin booker says we're going to make the playoffs this season he fucking means it and I yeah. think we all believe it and we know that the Suns now going into next season it is playoffs or bust for this team, right? Oh, absolutely. This this team has to. This, Devin Booker is going to expect playoffs in the same way that Damian Lillard is expecting playoffs uh, for for the Portland Trailblazers. And Booker's going to do whatever he can to get the Suns into the playoffs next year. The key is, I'm really look. We're not going to talk. Look, we've got months to talk about the off season. So today is going to be a retrospective, mostly on the Suns in the bubble. But I will tell you that next season they've got to come in with the expectation of making the playoffs. And how they get there between now and opening night on next season is going to be really telling on how much pull James Jones really does have in that front office um, to resist the uh, knee-jerk urges of the owner. Well, well, I mean, thankfully, there's not really a huge free agent class to do any like big uh knee jerk moves i guess they could do a trade but you know we'll talk about the free agent class coming up they have surprised the, the heck the out of us with some knee jerk moves so yeah they, don't, i mean don't they did pass them they did sign tyson chandler to what four years 60 million yeah i'm ready we got for tons a of time to talk move. about that yeah <laughs> we got tons of time today let's finish up on the bubble uh the next thing we would wanted to talk about was what happened to deandre Aiden. look this podcast two-thirds of us anyway um are staunch defenders of DeAndre Ayton as the pick. Three-thirds of us are staunchest defenders of DeAndre Ayton as a player. And so you're not going to hear as much criticism from us as you would from any other um, local Suns podcast, I would venture to guess. Maybe Fanning the Flames is a little bit more positive. And you know what? The new one, Coast to Coast, that's a little bit more positive than us. So maybe we're middle of the ground. Maybe we are middle of the ground now. But I will tell you that... Um, I was disappointed like everybody else was in DeAndre Ayton in the bubble. He he definitely did not step up to the moment where the rest of the team grew up. You saw that the guys that James Jones acquired over the offseason were guys that would not fold under this kind of pressure. Dario, Mikel, Mikel had done two national championships. Cam Johnson is, I mean, he's as old as I am. So he, he's been around the block a little bit. Um, you've got Dario has been in world championships as well as NBA playoffs as a starter. You've got Ricky Rubio, who's been in world championships for 84 years as well, plus um, two, two seasons of playoffs as a starter. You've got guys who were not going to fold in the bubble, but DeAndre Ayton is not one of those guys. The dude, literally his career was, I'm going to start playing basketball when I get to, when I got too big for soccer at around 10 years old. And then he goes, he becomes, he's so big, he becomes the number one recruit in the nation, goes to U of A, plays one season at U of A, a fairly disappointing season. Sean Miller's making a habit of this. And then they get ousted in the first round of the NCAAs. So you've got a guy there who has never been in this kind of pressure 
before because the Suns were putting themselves under pressure. Win one game eight times. That was Devin Booker's mindset the entire time. That was Monty Book Monty Williams. Monty Booker, we can call him that. Monty Williams' mindset the entire bubble. DeAndre Ayton thought he was keeping up with those guys. And if you listen to that interview with Adrian Wojnarowski last Sunday, he really did believe it was him and Booker leading the team. And and in some ways it is, but in a lot of ways it's not. And and Ayton doesn't know what he doesn't know until later. And he figures out, oh, now I know it better than I did. Like he spent half of that podcast with Woj talking about how much more he knows now than he did before and how much more he knew before than he did before that. Uh, well, you got a lot of growing up to do, dude. You got a lot of growing up to do, but you know what? He's also just barely 22 years old. He's going to play all next season as a 22 year old. So uh, he is super young. I do want to end this with a, and, and uh, my rant anyway, I want to end this with a, with pointing out that people were very disappointed with this play in, in the bubble for very good reason. Cause it's extremely obvious on offense because we all watch the ball. We're all ball watchers. That's just the way it is. But you had to, you, you don't want to miss out on the fact that he played extremely good defense in the bubble. He's a big reason the Suns were third in defense in the, in the uh, bubble. Actually, they were fourth in defense in the bubble. Um, he is the reason he got better in the bubble. Zinn Varlock is a uh, big Suns fan on Twitter, and he does a lot of data deep dives. And what he showed was that DeAndre Ayton is still in the top five in the bubble. He was in the top five at defending the rim. I pulled that back, that lens back out a little bit, and he was still top five in all levels of defense across the board in holding people to a lower field goal percentage than their season average when he defended them. Um, so he did get any, and they had that mic'd up segment against the Mavs, I believe it was, um, where he was actually calling out things on defense. They could show how loud he was. And players have talked about that. And Monty has talked about that, that he was talking a lot more on defense. But having all said all that, I was very disappointed in DeAndre Ayton too. And he has a lot of growing up to do. Uh, old MT uh, in the YouTube chat, he said Aiton was looking for the shoot button on his Xbox controller and then realized he was in an he was actually in an NBA <laughs> game. Uh, that's hilarious. Yeah, we're we're gonna do a, a statistical look into how each one of these players played during the regular season versus the bubble and hint, Aiton is the only one on the the counting stats that yeah. did significantly worse stats. across the board. I thought sure. Aiton defensively for most of the games <clears throat> showed definite improvements. There were a couple of games where we saw the old Aiton on defense, but most of the games he showed definite improvement. The only real part I was disappointed with the A in is when he would get the offensive rebound and then yeah. pass the ball out. Like that, I was no, actually I think I think MT at. makes a really good, um, uh, really good, observation what happened to Aiden what to me when I was watching him in the bubble is what happened to him was the same thing that was happening to him on defense his rookie year there's so many things he could do right now he froze in place he had no idea what to do you can go back up you can you can pass it out you got but you got to do something in 0.5 seconds that's the whole offense make a decision quick and uh so what he would do is basically punt uh, and just pass it back out because he was just frozen with possibilities. Yeah, maybe man, maybe when, he grows out that, of that. When you get that offensive board and you oh, are I know. a foot and a half away from the basket, and you got a smaller guy behind you. Stop passing it to the three point line for the love of God, man. For sure. But I thought I thought Aiden defensively. I love the point that that, that you pointed that out, Dave. I thought he was really good. And unlike um, uh, other local Suns podcasts. Uh, I don't want to shit on Aiton the whole time because Aiton was not terrible. I think he was specifically the only player, though, that did not show significant improvement across the board the when stats. we look at these mm -hmm. these players. Yeah, look, look for, for me, it comes down to uh, offensively, DeAndre Aiton was disappointing, uh, primarily in the back half of these eight games. Uh, the the you know there were a few good offensive games early in the bubble, but uh, you know he still rebounded well. 
Uh, defensively, as Dave pointed out, uh, he was still uh, a positive and one of the better at defending the rim in Orlando. But offensively is where he was disappointing. And look, uh, hmm. he needs to learn how to not bring the ball back down when he's down low and hmm. and try to go back up with it, go strong. And I think those are the kind of things that Mark Bryant and the coaching staff uh, and Monty are going to spend a lot of time with him this offseason on. I mean, we're in year one with Monty, right? Uh, and, and DeAndre Ayton just played his first eight important basketball games uh, in a long time, right? He played one tournament game with U of A. Uh, he's, he's just, he, he hasn't been in this pressure. And I think it showed he didn't know how to handle himself in this, but again, 22. Uh, so there's a lot of room for growth. And we saw the jump he took from year one to year two in his game. So I have, I have a belief for the first time in a very long time that the coaching staff is right to help develop a young player like DeAndre Ayton and that DeAndre will continue to progress i mean he did from year one to year two there's nothing uh that we there's no reason we shouldn't believe he won't do it from year two to year three and i think dave you brought up a good point uh even though he's 22 he seems well that's debatable uh (laughs) but at at 22 even at 22 he seems introspective where he's willing to go back and relook at things and realize Oh yeah, maybe I didn't do that right. Even if in the moment he's like, "Yeah, I was great," da, da, da. Yeah. but he seems willing to go back and look and realize uh, that there were gaps and that there were things he could work on and could be better at. And offensively, there's no there's no arguing he played well offensively. There just isn't. Uh, my biggest problem was it didn't matter what happened; uh, people were just going to rip on him. You know, certain people were just going to rip on him. Uh, and, and that's fine. That's your prerogative if, if that's what you want to do. But I, there's a lot of talent there, a lot of things that he'll progress on. And even with him playing not up to his full potential, they found a way to be 8-0 and, and utilize what he was doing well to their benefit. So, yes, he can get a lot better. I have faith that he will. Uh, offensively, it was a disappointment, but defensively and on the boards, I still thought he got the job done. So, so DL asked a question in, in the chat. Is the motion offense, the 0.5 second offense, limiting Aiton's offensive capabilities? Hard to post up with that offense. Uh, um, no, that's actually not true. All he has to do is decide that that's what he's going to do when he catches the ball. Um, the, the 0.5 offense is to decide something within 0.5 seconds and then do something with it. Don't just stand there. So doing something with it is, is uh, going into the post up, bodying up the guy behind you and going up to the rim. If you guys remember back when uh, is, and we really don't need to be spending the whole hour talking about Eden, but um, as a rookie, the only thing he was supposed to do was to catch and turn and score. And remember we were talking about how great his touch is around the basket and how good he is at, at um, turning around on smaller guys and, and getting the ball in the hoop. And he was just, he set records for efficiency as a big man rookie. He just didn't do much else on offense, but get down there and, or maybe take a, uh, an occasional midi. But um, remember that he was so good around the basket. Then this year, he became not so good because he, he, I don't know, he just didn't, he put that tool back in his back pocket and then didn't pull it back out. I think he just got confused. Now he's got to, now he's got to um, move on from there. Yeah. Let's move on to the next thing that we we're going to talk about. We wanted to talk about how different the Suns were in the bubble than they were in the regular season. I'm going to talk about the team record, team numbers, and then um, uh, Tim's going to talk about individual players. It is amazing the transformation the Suns had in the bubble. Um, so let's just go down a couple of, of high-level things. In the bubble, the Suns were second overall in offense out of 22 teams. And these basically, for those who are just now joining in and didn't figure it out, um, it's 22 out of 30 teams. And the bottom eight teams, the worst eight teams, were the ones who were not invited. So second out of 22 is probably still equivalent to second in the league overall. Second in offense where they were only 16th in offense the first 65 games, okay? Fourth in defense in the bubble, where they were only 19th in defense the first 65 games. First overall in net rating by a mile. They were the only ones who had a double-digit positive net rating in the bubble with plus 12.9. 
that was that was one third higher than the next team on on net rating. It's just unbelievable how good the Suns were in the bubble. During the regular season, they were tied for 15th at a minus uh, minus one net rating. But it's just incredible the the improvement. Um, they were first in field goal percentage. They were first in effective field goal percentage. They were first in true shooting percentage when they were 12th, 12th, and 10th on those in the regular season. They just got so much better. They were even fifth in three raw three-point percentage. They were fifth in raw three-point percentage when uh, they were 19th on that in the regular season. You guys probably thought it was worse than 19th, didn't you? I did when I first looked that up. Um, they just, and in and, 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 and the most surprising stat of all, they actually were first in rebound percent. <laughs> the percentage of available rebounds that the Suns grabbed, they were first in the bubble in rebound percent. Which that, which is, is kind of funny, given the fact that heading into it, um, well, no, wait, actually, uh, they were myself. 17th during the season. Monty, Monty Williams said, we're going to, we're going to focus more on rebounding as opposed to transition. He did, defense. he yep. did, but they were still pretty damn good. They were also, they also finished overall for the season. They finished first in transition offense. Um, and they were pretty good on transition defense, not awesome, but they were pretty good. They were still pretty good in the bubble. Um, so no, he did, they didn't lose anything by focusing more on rebounds. They just focused a little more on rebounds and it works. Um, Greg, before we get into kind of looking at the, the lineups, um, as well as the bench and the individual players for everybody that decides they're going to be a supporter of the show, whether or not you are watching on YouTube and you want to become a flaming baller, or you're listening to the podcast version and you want to hit the support the show button, we do have an incentive. Um, you want to talk about it? I'll put it in the chat. Yeah, sure. Uh, first off, if you become a flaming baller, I'm working on a logo for you guys. So you're going to have your own flaming ballers logo that you can get on a shirt or we can get you some some stickers potentially. So that's a reason to join the uh, the flaming baller crew. You can do that by hitting the join button here on YouTube or uh, need some ballers doing it via uh, anchor as well. If you listen to the podcast, you can click the link in the notes. But the other thing is, if you are a supporter of the show, you get to join our private Facebook group, which means you get to see Tim and Dave insult each other and myself as we comment about things and post things. And we tell the other one, they sound like an idiot. Uh, you also get a cool, we'll, we'll do some cool different things there. Once we get the group uh, more up and running, maybe some, uh, some Q and A's where we ask you guys to provide questions. We'll then answer them on the shows and then nobody else can ask questions because it's only for the flaming ballers. Uh, we're also going to do one, one cool thing that I'm going to do for this group this week is I got a chance to sit down with the guy who designed the 1990s uh, sunburst uh, uniforms and the 95 all-star logo, the uh, NBA inside stuff logo, all, all those, uh, all those iconic 90s looks. Uh, I got a chance to talk with him. I'm going to put that in uh in for our uh, private for our youtube group and maybe privately in the facebook group as well uh so you guys can can listen to that it's not going to be uh for anybody else uh, it's going to be an exclusive to you guys so yeah uh, that should be fun for you as well so join uh get part of that facebook group and uh, let's have some fun flaming ballers we're glad to have you along for the ride yep. so let's talk about the different lineups that uh monty williams had during the regular season versus the bubble um, the regular season lineup of Rubio, Booker, Bridges, Johnson, Aiton clearly did not play as many minutes together as they did during the bubble. Uh, that being said, so they play a total of 34 minutes. That lineup in the regular season was a positive 20.2 net rating versus the bubble when it was a positive 15.2 net rating. The pace of that lineup in the regular season was 106.5 versus the bubble it was 101.7. The assist percentage uh, went up in the bubble and during the regular season. That same lineup, that starting or that lineup was assist percentage was 62.5. In the bubble, it was 65.7. The rebounding percentage in the regular season for that lineup was 54.2% compared to the bubble, 62.5. And most uh, impactful was the effective field goal percentage for that lineup during the regular season was 56.1 versus 76.2%. So that lineup in the bubble played slower. They assisted on more shots. They rebounded better and they made more of their shots together. 
Uh, so that that yeah. was a lot of the reason for why that that lineup was playing so oh, much I better. Think a, a big, I agree. I think a big part of that was the development of Brooker. Uh, excuse me, was Bridges and Johnson, obviously, uh, because the other three were were consistent all year, uh, for the most part. So, uh, man, Cam Johnson, he grew up, and he is definitely a guy who I can see. And they had talked about this a year ago. They had talked about this last summer. I heard that the Suns were talking to Cam Johnson about possibly bulking up so he can be a stretch four. And I was like, what? That guy's too skinny, way too skinny. He's already 23. So what could he possibly do to improve himself in his life? Because he's already 23. You know how that is. None of us have improved anything after age 23. I would know firsthand. Um, so the Cam, was. they wanted him to be a stretch four. And he actually grew into a stretch four. Um, I think people say the Suns need a power forward. Cam Johnson looks like a really good stretch four for that team. The and yeah, we're definitely going to talk about him as well. Now, comparing the bench units was uh, was the difficult part because the Suns didn't have campaign during the regular season. So what I did was I compared the two most used bench lineups in the regular season versus the two most bench. Uh, most used bench lineups in the bubble. During the regular season, the two most used bench lineups were a positive 4.3 and a positive 7 net rating. Compared to the bubble, the bench lineups, the two most used, uh, was positive 60 and a positive 59 net rating. I mean, somebody earlier was talking about the bench. The bench stepped up in the bubble. Oh, my God. That was so fun to watch. Come on. The the bench stepping up is, is... There's two reasons. Elliot Kobo didn't play, uh, and Campaign came in and filled that spot admirably. And then, I, you Dario. know, uh, yeah, Dario was fantastic too. I mean, you look at that, the combination of Dario, Campaign stepping up, uh, Javon Carter finally getting a, a, a tangible role where he knew what he was expected to go out there and do, uh, not relying on, on Ellie. I mean, even with Frank Kaminsky being a complete and utter disappointment on that bench unit, uh, this team uh, improved significantly. And they were able to, when when the bench came in during the, the pre-bubble regular season, you were worried how big of a how big of a deficit are the starters going to have to come back in and overcome or how much of this lead will have dissipated it was basically you were hoping the bench could wait it out enough and and put the starters in a position to still have a chance in the bubble it was how far can they stretch this because yeah. you had no you had no uh no fear that they were going to blow things it was okay what can they do at worst they're going to keep us where we're at and and at best which they did multiple times they're going to stretch mm-hmm. this they're going to make Save this a better position yeah oh yeah in some cases save the game and 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 make a comeback while the starters are on the bench they that I love was, that Indiana that game, game. Just bringing up ex- uh, specific examples. Of course, they were down 15 to Dallas. I think it was at halftime of that first Dallas game. And yeah. uh, it was the bench that brought him back. But the, my, the Indiana game was my favorite. Um, after Indiana had recovered and actually taken a lead in early in the second half, and the Sun starters looked like they were ready to give that lead up for good, the bench comes in and goes on a 21 to nothing run. Unfreaking believable. 29. 29- 21 nothing run that Indiana could not recover from. And most a lot of that run was against most of Indiana's starters before they went all bench by the end of the quarter themselves. Um, there's the our the second unit of the Suns was just so fun to watch, man. Cam Payne and Javon Carter, just unbelievable. Um, uh, Javon Carter is uh, not really an assist guy, but Dave, he had gonna, nine. Can we uh, go through the players individually before we start getting into? Sure. Yes. Sure. Okay. All right. You drive. (laughs) We're going to get into each one of those players. So, um, you know, I just rather do it it. in order. Um, Let's talk about where the individual players ranked. And I'm only going to go through the positives because we're going to run out of time and we got more shit to talk about. Right. So where Devin Booker improved regular season, this last regular season versus the bubble. He went from 26.1 points per game to 30.5. His rebounds went from 4.2 to 4.9. His field goal percentage went from 48.7 to 50.3. And his three-point attempts went from 5.6 to 6.0. 
Oh yeah. He, um, Mike Prada, if you guys look on Twitter for Mike Prada, um, he, uh, he made uh, free a Substack article that he wrote on Friday about Devin Booker specifically about how he has improved his efficiency now versus um, a year ago. And uh, it's an incredible read on how, how Devin Booker is maximizing every time he touches the ball. Um, and it's absolutely true. It's so fun to read that article. Go find some stuff on Devin Booker uh, from those corners of the world where it's not just a Suns fan writing it. This is a national writer, and uh, it's just it's good. It's worth it. Go find it. Yeah, I mean, coming into this, we we thought Devin Booker would uh, would have to be the man. Now, we were surprised by a lot of the other guys that stepped up, but Booker came in and proved on what was as close to a national stage as, as the Suns have had in his time here that he is the real deal, that he can do all the little things. Even when his three-point shot wasn't falling in Orlando, he came out and he took care of business, it, whether it was you know, being able to uh, dish to his, uh, to his teammates, whether it was grabbing a, an important rebound, whether it was getting to the rim and getting to the free throw line. Uh, he's a big reason that this is the best free throw shooting team in NBA history uh, after uh, after the f- culmination of the regular season. So I, overall, he did all those little things. And I believe he just became only the and correct me if I get this stat wrong if one of you guys knows it, but only the second guy to to average uh, his his twenty six and six assists uh, at the age of twenty three. The only Third other guy. two, or oh yeah, excuse me, the only other two were LeBron and Oscar Robertson. So before the age of twenty four, yeah, before the age of twenty three, that's elite company. Twenty four, even you I have mean, to go to age twenty five to find find but, anybody else. Like if you're if you're there with LeBron and the Big O, I think you're doing something right. And he pro- continued to prove that because he played even better in the bubble. So congratulations, Devin Booker. You're finally getting the attention that imagine you deserve. The, imagine if the dude who won the three point contest one year and came in second or third two other times. Imagine if he um, just suddenly takes his his. Uh, the lid off of him being able to make threes at a high clip in, in regular games. I don't know what's happened in that situation. Uh, but man, imagine that taking that lid off and him becoming suddenly a 40 plus percent three point shooter too. Crazy. All right, that, let's move on to another year. player. Yeah. To yeah, that, to that point, Booker only shot 31% from three uh, in the bubble. Versus in the bubble. 36% yeah. during the regular season. Uh, Ricky Rubio, he went from 4.6 rebounds to 4.9 rebounds. Uh, his field goal percentage rose from 41.2 to 43.2. Uh, this is what I think was most impactful. His three-point percentage went from 35% to 43%, and his three-point attempts rose from 3.3 to 3.5. One thing I was noting during this as well is I think we oftentimes forget how good of a rebounder Ricky Rubio is for his position. Yeah. Yeah. He's uh, he, there's, he's regularly coming close to triple doubles out there. People just don't notice him. And when they do notice, it's maybe about a pass, but yes, he's, he does a little bit of everything out there on the court and he doesn't uh, try to get any, any uh, spotlight for it. Yeah. And he's the calmer in chief too. He's out there and he calms his team down. The calmer every... in chief. I yeah. like that. I mean, like when he's out there, it's not chaotic. I mean, we saw we saw the difference in in the pre bubble regular season when Elliot Coble would come in and try to run the offense and things started to feel chaotic. But when when Ricky's out there, he can take charge and and ease any situation. And we saw that uh, in the bubble. He may not have had uh, you know blew the the lid off of uh, the stat sheet every game, but he had an impact in every single one of them. Uh, Mikhail Bridges, this is the only one I really don't like because the counting stats do not show the improvement that he made. I think this is something that Dave was really talking about with Aiton as well. The only stats he really improved during the bubble on it from a counting stat perspective was points. His points per game rose from 11.4 to 12.8. His three-point attempts rose from 3.6 to 4.4. But defensively, the job that he did each and every single game, he was also second most in minutes played during the bubble. Mm-hmm. Um, I I, I thought was just absolutely huge a step forward. And I wish it was something that we could convey in, in counting stats. 
Absolutely no. Mikel was just he was he was aesthetically pleasing on the defensive end because he could lock down other guys. It was just really great. Um, Mikel definitely made a big jump. Yeah, he's not. I don't think he's ever going to be the guy that the counting stats tell the story. I think it's always going to be the little things, the defense, uh, just just that impact. And, and some games he'll come out and he'll be the second best guy offensively. But I don't think we're going to expect. Did that you guys see that uh, Channing Fry thinks um, Trevor Ariza is still yeah. a better defender than Mikel Bridges? Yeah, Channing Fry still hates Robert Server. I think that's really Jesus what it. What Plus, it's about. Channing Fry also comments for the Blazers, and that's who yeah, Ariza currently plays for. Yeah, he's paid by the Blazers to do a uh, a podcast and and on their broadcast from time to time. So he understands where his paycheck's coming and who didn't give him an extension, and that was a uh, one Robert Sarver. So okay, the next one, go to Cam Johnson. Tim. All right, Cam Johnson, and I want you guys to correct me if I'm wrong because I wasn't sure if this was just a, a weird blip or you know an error in yeah, the reporting system. At. Yeah. But, <laughs> so the points per game they had Cam Johnson is eight points during the regular season versus thirteen point three. I think that's accurate. Rebounds, though, they had zero versus 5.9. Yeah, I, no, no. He sure. was, <laughs> you had something wrong with your reporting software. Right. There. He, he got, he got yeah. at least one rebound, right? Maybe Dave, you can <laughs> yeah. tell what it actually is. Uh, no, we yeah. don't need to. He's, he just got better at rebounding for sure. That's right. what Because uh, I think I would have, we would have noticed if he was averaging zero rebounds a game through the, the regular season. But yeah. his, his three point attempts rose from four to uh, 5.4. That's like, good because that's a pure shooter out there. He, it's awesome. he, he's a perfect compliment to to Booker on the floor. Uh, I love seeing him at the four and and playing that that spot. I think it also, as we talked about, made the bench better because Dario could uh, could solidify that role as kind of the backup four and five uh, at times. So, or excuse me, Cam Johnson was was spectacular in this bubble. And I think basically solidified himself going into next season. Health is still always going to be the question with Cam Johnson, but he looked great in the bubble. Dario. Uh, Dario. Which I'm sorry, I was following along to the YouTube chat where they're saying that Lillard wants to play in Phoenix. I was watching that. Oh, I'm sure we'll talk about it at some point. Uh, Dario Sharch, he went from 11 points per game regular season to 16. His rebounds rose from 6.5 to 9 per game, and his field goal percentage went from 45.7 to 58.3. If we kind of define like how many shots and where his, his percentages were coming from, he was shooting a lot more around the basket. I think we all saw that with the bully ball. I was a bit um, uh, surprised to see that his assists per game stayed the same at two because he was definitely passing and dishing a lot. Um, but Dario, I mean, your guys' thoughts? Uh, he was the he was the everything man. I mean, he, mm-hmm. uh, you know, he went out there and found a way to have an impact in every portion uh, of the game when he was out there with the bench unit, and he went from guy that we thought was completely out of the Suns' plans uh, altogether to someone I think you almost have to bring back at least on a one year deal to to see. Uh, what he can do as, as the anchor of that bench. It depends on if he's willing to do it depends on uh, obviously because he's a free agent, but it felt like he really is bought into Monty Williams uh, really loves this, uh, this team and would be, be willing to at least come back and, and see how it went uh, maybe on a one-year deal uh, as that six yeah. man. Uh, and well, I, I would love to see it. Let, uh, I do want to point something out is that everyone wants to be a starter, right? But if you look at his role as a starter, he didn't get to touch the ball. Mm-hmm. You look at his right. role as a bench guy, the ball's in his hands a bunch. So I, I do think players at a certain point are like, look, I can play with the bench and I can have the, the ball in my hand at some point, or I can play with the starters. And Every guy and, likes his balls in his hands. No, but I mean, yeah. I'm serious. Like, you know, we, we've all gone out there and just even from a, a pickup basketball standpoint, you're like, look, if I play with this team, maybe they're not quite as good, but, uh, you know, I'll get a bunch more touches. And there is some intrinsic value to actually being able to touch the ball when you're playing fucking basketball. Yeah, if, you know if Dario's going to be, look, and Dario's going to be maximized, it's going to be as this backup five. Um, so I, I think it does come down to, we can talk about offseason later because we're just going through improvement in the bubble right now. Uh, but it does come down to uh, he really should come back as a backup center. Okay, let's move on. 
All right, next so guy. next up, we got Javon Carter. Points per game, 5.5 during the regular season versus 7. His field goal percentage rose 44% to 50%. His three-point percentage rose from 50% to 55%. And his three-point attempts rose from 3, 3.6. Maybe I'm crazy. I didn't realize that Javon Carter shot 50% from three all season long. That's something we probably no, no, uh, should uh, talk about. Um, he didn't. I, you've got your numbers a little bit off there. He was at 40%. Um, earlier in the, the the rest of the season, he wasn't fifty percent all season, um, but he was still forty. He was still thirty eight, thirty nine, forty somewhere in there. Um, and he, he obviously Javon Carter had a great bubble, and he won the Dan Marley Hustle Award. Big props to Javon Carter. He deserved it. That dude is a bulldog. The oh. timeline um, Twitter account oh, hey. posted a few. Yes, sir. NBA uh, NBA dot com. Uh, it wasn't fifty percent. No. Uh, well, we it didn't load it up. I mean, well, you don't. But I'm just saying that's what they have it at is fifty percent. Let Let me say this. I don't give a crap what he shot from three point land at any point because it wasn't about his shooting that made him so damn uh, impactful. It's the defense and what he did and the energy he was able to bring. And I'm glad that he has a spot now. Enough of this rotating six, uh, you know, guys that don't deserve. Minutes at backup point guard. You've got a backup in campaign, and then you've got Javon as that third guard that can come in and be the bulldog and do the things and get in guys' faces and dive for balls and, and just be a pest and and hit shots from time to time. Like he he found a way in the bubble to hit impactful shots. That, you know uh, that's that's what I want from Javon Carter, and that's what I hope we continue to get. And I bring it up all the time when we talk about him, but it feels like he's an eight year veteran and. This guy, I, I, what was this? His third year. He's super young, still. So I, I'm, I'm glad, and I hope he's part of the future with this bench. The okay, so basketball reference. Um, this doesn't really matter all that much. We don't uh, need to does, argue this. Anymore. Does have him know. at forty-two and a half percent versus NBA.com stats for the year has him at at fifty percent. So not really sure what the difference is there. But regardless, Javon Carter improved. We'll move on to the next player. Thank you. Um, the player that didn't eight yeah 20 like, points to 10 rebuild like the the counting sets they all went down do you guys want to talk about it more no we did enough okay. go back to the beginning of the show if you missed it we get on the on the eight and uh trashing bandwagon a bit sure. so. all right so that enough uh of that let's talk about our bubblies the mvps and everything else oh, that we wow. have lined up dave do you want to host this section no, okay. You know what, Tim? Sorry. Back to your Javon Carter thing because I'm just <laughs> ruminating on it. That was as a starter. He only started two games. Uh, okay, I got you. I got you. That's where that. Yeah. Okay. That's why you my got the fifty percent. My bubbly for who gives a crap is this conversation. <laughs> Congratulations, guys. I couldn't care okay. less. All right. All right. Bubblies. Uh, yes. So, um, the NBA has announced that they are going to um. um announced team of the bubble, MVP of the bubble, and coach of the bubble. So I came up with a few that are, are admittedly Sun-centric, um, but I, I do want I do think we should talk through this a little bit. Um, and we can talk about this, uh, whether it's uh, who the MVP should be first, and it doesn't have to be a Phoenix Sun, obviously. But what argue, the argument I might make for Devin Booker being MVP of the bubble is, um, and this was, this was really cool, and gosh, Dang it! It's it's uh, it's escaping me. Who wrote about this? Somebody wrote about the MVP of the. Oh gosh, dang it! Okay, sorry, I'm being dumb. Uh, Easy Sports Zone, Brandon. Um, uh, he wrote for Bright Side of the Sun that just published this morning because I edited it last night. He wrote on why Devin Booker should be the MVP of the bubble. So I'm going to give Brandon, Easy Sports Zone, all the credit for this. Remember when Devin Booker averaged 60 points, a, uh, 50 points a game for three games in a week uh, a year ago, but the Suns went 0-3. You guys remember that? And Damian Lillard got the Player of the Week award that week because he averaged 30 points a game, and they went 3-1 and for Portland. And the argument was winning makes a big difference. Uh, not points, but winning. And so for that reason, Devin Booker being 30 points a game in the bubble for an 8-0 Suns team should be more impactful than Lillard averaging 55,000 points a game for a Trailblazers team that just admittedly went 6-2. and two. That's pretty still pretty good. But eight, uh, but um, uh, Booker had more wins. So that's my argument for Booker winning MVP of the bubble. What do you guys say? 
Look, I, I think it comes down to it should be a co-MVP. I mean, honestly, the it's tough to pick out of those two guys who had a bigger impact. I know that the Suns had the bigger hill to climb, but uh, Portland also had to fight off the Suns and had to do everything they could even until that last second to to get in. And without Damian Lillard, they probably look more like Memphis than than they do Portland. Lillard did things that uh, that were otherworldly. And Devin Booker put a team on his back that had little to no percentage chance of even forcing a play-in game and did it. I think they both deserve to share in this. But as Damian Lillard said, he's got the playoffs to worry about. So do the damn sons a solid and just give it to Devin Booker, all right? <laughs> yeah, I, I'm, I'm going, I'm sorry, guys. I'm going with Damian Lillard on this. Uh, and, and really just to even piggyback off of, off of Dave's, uh, if we're going to talk about the winning, Damian Lillard, made it so his team got into the playoffs. Devin yeah. Booker did everything right. It's not taking away from Devin Booker on this, but one player made it so his team got into the playoffs and the other player did everything he could, did everything right, but at the end of the day, did not. Um, and I know that's a crappy argument, but if it wasn't if it wasn't for Damian Lillard, I mean, his team just wouldn't have been there. You could say the same thing for Devin Booker. At the end of the day, though, I would still give it to, to Lillard over Booker. Uh, if they could do a dual MVP, then by all means, it should be the both of them. But I'd go with that. I'd go with Lillard. Yeah, the audience right. isn't have isn't having in that right now. I'm sorry. <laughs> you know, I mean that's that's fine. I realize it's an unpopular opinion considering we're doing a sun show. <laughs> I get that. No, it's okay. Um, uh, there's there's valid arguments for both. I was just making the argument that I thought was pretty sound uh, for Booker, but that's okay. Yeah. No, I mean, I, if look, Booker deserves it. If Booker gets it, he deserved that MVP. Uh, if Lillard gets it, he deserved that MVP. Uh, it's kind of splitting hairs. It really just came down to one team made it in the other team didn't you know monty williams had a great quote um in that post game and if you guys didn't listen to it we got it on bright side of the sun just look for it. it's in our second position on the articles um i transcribed most of the quotes out of his speech if you don't want to listen to it but listening to it is pretty freaking incredible um and his his comment was that um uh we may get to build on it this weekend or it may not happen in the summer what they you know what they worked on uh we don't ha- control that we got to get to the point where we control that we've got you understand that you want the kind of team that controls your own destiny that's our next step absolutely the suns need to be in control of their own destiny next year they don't need to be hoping other people fail and lose out yep um okay. let's so go to first team, first team yeah. all bubble First team, all bubble. Um, I'm just now these are just going to be sons. And really, I know the front, the starting lineup was pretty fucking great. Uh, but really, the first team, all bubble, I'm going to go Booker, Mikel, and Cam. But then I'm going to go Dario as the fourth starter. And then Jacam Carter Payne as the fifth starter. What do you guys got? Uh, I don't think that that quite yep. now. Japan okay. Carter Payne. Yep. Uh huh. Japan Jacam. Oh, Carter <laughs> so we're just we're just naming five guys from the Suns right now. The we're best not best five guy. Your favorite five guys from the Suns. Cam Johnson, Mikael Bridges, Ricky Rubio, Devin Booker, Campaign. Give me those guys. That's the five that I. That, you know, sorry to Dario. I loved what you did, Dario. But you're going to be the sixth man on this, too, because what campaign did was <laughs> was unbelievable and came out of nowhere. The guy literally anybody in the league could have signed. He was on the trash heap and he came in and had a major impact. So kudos to you, campaign. Yeah, I'd probably go campaign, Booker, Mikhail, Dario and and uh, I guess I go. I guess I go Cam Johnson with that with that last spot. You guys aren't going to go with Jacam Carter Payne as a single player. If if we had the technology to actually combine players, yes, I would be all for it because that would answer a lot of problems if we could just combine those guys. It would be great. What's what? What do we have next on your uh, on your bubbly? Coach here? of the bubble. Well, obviously, coach of the bubble is just going to be Monty Williams. Terry uh, Stott. Only the one coach. No, <laughs> no, no. It is it, it, even if you aren't counting Suns, uh, just the Suns. It is Monty Williams. Period. Yeah. There, there is no other coach that. A lot of more. national guys tweeted immediately. Oh, that's the Monty Williams Award. Okay, let's just let's just name right. it the Monty Williams Award. <laughs> 
I'm, I'm sure um, Monty is extremely happy that uh, what was on the other side of hard was the coach of the bubble award. I'm sure that's what he was hoping was on the other side of hard for him and the team. So. He's going to laugh that off so quickly. All right. Um, uh, defensive player of the bubble, um, uh, much to Ch- Channing Fry's chagrin, Trevor Ariza did not actually play in the bubble, I'm pretty sure. <laughs> um, otherwise, you know, could possibly be Trevor Ariza. Uh, yeah. But I'm going to call Mikel Bridges as the defensive player of the bubble. Yeah. All right, offensive player of the bubble. Uh, that one I have to give to Lillard. There's no, there's no question. Jesus Christ, that guy is crazy good when he's focused. And really, I think what, what fired – uh, Lillard up more than anything is after he missed those two free throws a week ago against the Clippers and the Suns had some breathing room or some chance, some hope. Um, then he got into that Instagram fight with Paul George and Patrick Beverly <laughs> that really queued him up and got Lillard really focused. And uh, I think after that, Lillard didn't miss a dang shot for the rest of the week. It was pretty great. Uh, yeah, I think it's tough to to argue against uh against Damian Lillard as the offensive player. I think you could find a way to try to argue Booker into into it, but uh, man, some of those shots that Dame hit were otherworldly, and Devin Booker had a few of those as well, but he seemed to hit every every shot that that Portland Trailblazers team needed. It wasn't, it wasn't anybody else in Portland that was saving their season. It was Dame Lillard single-handedly. So, so uh, I somebody in there. the thing is fallen, fallen bounder asking if Luca probably should be what, what do you, what do you call him? It's certainly not the defensive player of the bubble. So maybe offensive you're yeah. voting. I just, I'm sorry. I'm out on Luca. I'm so tired of him either foul baiting and getting the call or whining to the refs half of the next play as his team goes down and tries to play defense and gives up 150 points a game. I'm out. I think he wins the doughiest to succeed award because he did not look like he was fully in shape and yet still played well. So right. congratulations. Yeah, he, he, he did. He did well. Um, did we do most improved player? No, no, not yet. Most improved player. My vote is Mikel Bridges because the dude um, uh, grew himself into that defensive player. Uh, uh, first team, second team, all defense next year. Cam Johnson. He went from, guy that you brought in to hit three pointers to solid starter at power forward. And I think he answers that question. And as much as everybody hates this makes Kelly Oubre expendable now. So uh, that I think with him out there in that offense, the ball moves so much better. It doesn't stick. He and McHale uh, are perfect next to each other and are perfect compliments. Devin Booker. Congratulations, Cam. You grew uh, the most uh, going into this bubble. <laughs> uh it's funny man i went with uh, i went with dario so it looks like we all had isn't it awesome that there's so many guys that could win most improved go for it tim tell us your argument for dario uh, well, i mean we we read the stats before but i i think it was really just him embracing that bench role and and while the bench was incredible and a lot of that yes absolutely had to do with it with the pairing up of campaign and javon carter getting the ball out of javon carter's hands on the offensive end getting it into campaigns the fact that that dario could come in and also play that that point five um the aggression he showed just i thought i mean i thought he was incredible uh, during mm-hmm. for the bench during during the the bubble run, Dario yeah. led all that that bench effort absolutely. Yeah, I think I think Dario definitely deserves a, a nod and is probably a one B for me uh, next to Cam. So I, I have no issue with that. Anything Dave says, I always have issue with. But Tim, that was a solid point there. <laughs> Great. All right. Well, we don't want to we don't want to leave a particular player out, and he wasn't mentioned in most improved because. Uh, we're creating a, a bubble comeback player. Comeback player of the bubble is a guy who was totally off a of radar and suddenly now is back on two radars. And that's got to be campaign. The dude figured out how to play basketball and he played it at such a high level that we forgot. I forgot for a while that we had two years of guys worse than campaign in our starting position. Um, so I, I, I love watching campaign. I hope he stays forever. He's already under contract for a team option anyway. The Suns can keep him for a very cheap team they option next year, and they will. So Cam isn't going anywhere. Um, he's got a very small guarantee, too. So actually, he's super great for the Suns because not only do they have a team option for the full year, it's only partially guaranteed. 
Um, so the Suns can really manage um, their their salary cap well. And uh, campaign is the comeback player of the bubble. Yeah, campaign definitely. And then my lack of a comeback player for the bubble, Kelly Oubre. Congratulations. You can pick up your bubble later. Hey, Scoot, we didn't need him. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> All right, where, where are we going next, Tim? Drive the bus real quick. All right, well, we're pretty much out of time, but in theory, and I realize, I hold on, hold on, Greg, I want to make sure I look at the private chats. No, I don't see anything in the private chats about you not having a tweet of the game. Do we have a tweet of the game? No, we don't, so move on. Next one. <laughs> okay. Let's go. Next, uh, draft lottery. So the only thing that's going to happen between <laughs> now and next week's show is the actual draft lottery, if you guys have forgotten. Now the Suns. Um, nothing they did in the bubble affected their draft position, so they're still which tenth. Is awesome, which is awesome. <laughs> they're still tenth. They have a thirteen point nine percent chance to get a top four pick. Only about a three percent chance to get a top one pick, but a thirteen point nine percent overall to get into the top four. This is new lottery odds that just started last year, and in one year, in that one year, already the Pelicans and the Grizzlies, who were fighting for a playoff spot this year, um got those into that top four from being in the eight, nine, 10 range. So this year it could be the Phoenix suns who do the jump and we'll find out Friday. Look, um, if, that's, that's, that's what's happening. And we can talk about it Saturday morning next week. Look, if there's ever a time for the basketball gods to smile kindly or uh, the league office, whoever uh, runs the, who wins these things, uh, it should be this year for the suns. Now I, I don't know that it will, but they've done everything right. You cannot look at this team and go, oh, they didn't tank. They played their hearts out. If somebody's going to jump and deserves it, it's the Suns. Uh, but who knows? That's the fun of these things. And I'm just glad that it's not the biggest moment of our uh, of our summer like it has been in the past years. This is just going to be an afterthought for the most part unless they get the first picks. So. Landon Alverson in the YouTube chat says, well, we have draft odd articles on Brightside, Dave. Absolutely, we will. Of course, we will. Probably more than one. Uh, absolutely. The bright side will be all over that, like white on rice. Hey, you know uh, who's okay. not going to be? Who? Us. Yep, sun <laughs> solar panel. Uh, I don't know about you guys, but I can count the amount of uh, college basketball games I watched this, from this last season on one hand, and I could probably do it with no hands as well. Hey, I can tell yeah, you. We'll I will I'll be on draft experts when we get closer to the draft. But for yeah, the we'll... draft odds, it's simply tankathon.com has all the odds. And we'll be sharing our thoughts about it. And we've got a couple of guys on staff who care about the draft at Brightside and, and focus on these guys before they've actually been picked by the sun. So it's good. Thank you, everybody, so much for tuning in live. Thank you to everybody that is listening on the podcast and gives us an hour of their ear once a week. It means the world to all three of us. Um, so for Greg, Dave, and myself, thank you so much for joining. And we will see you guys back, back again next week Excuse me, uh, for the Phoenix Sun Solar Panel Podcast. Later. Later, guys. Mmm, the first taste of rare bourbon you finally got your hands on. That's nice. At Caskers.com, we make this experience easy. Caskers is a one-stop spirit curator with an impressive selection of exclusive sought-after rare and household names in the realm of premium spirits and champagne. Discover the top flavors of the year now by going to Caskers.com and using code WELCOME10 for $10 off your first purchase. Get $10 off your first purchase with code WELCOME10 at Caskers.com.